Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can get together once again to worship you, to glorify you, to fix our eyes, Lord, on the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Lord. We, we thank you, Lord, that we can have peace through Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can have peace with you and peace with one another. And so, Lord, today, would you open up our eyes our hearts and our minds to your truth. May it penetrate our hearts, Lord. May we leave changed and different from that when we came in, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be more like you, to walk in the spirit, not give in to the desires of the flesh. So teach us this morning. Change us, Lord. Mold us, shape us, sanctify us. Make us more like you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of today's teaching is Bearing the Fruit of Peace. We're continuing to go through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Today, it's kind of a culmination of the last two teachings I've given on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. I don't know that I'm going to go through each one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. This might be the last one, yet I don't know for sure. I'll seek the Lord and see what he'd like me to do. But we'll probably move on to something else. So this will be the culmination of those three, love, joy, and peace. And the three of them are very closely connected, as we'll see today. I remember the story Pastor Joe he shared from time to time, and some of you can confirm this maybe, that when he was growing up, his dad would cut back the trees and the bushes, rose bushes, I think it was, and Joe would say that there was almost nothing left. Look at these rose bushes, and it's but a little stump. And he's like, what was my dad thinking? Like, why was he cutting back these trees and bushes, rose bushes, to where there's nothing left? I don't remember exactly in the story if he was almost thinking in his mind, like, how foolish. Like, he does not know what he's doing. He's about to kill this plant. And then, but a couple months goes by and he sees these rose bushes and these trees and these plants. There's leaves flourishing, flowers, beautiful roses. And he goes, wow, my dad knew exactly what he was doing, right? Some of you may know that story. Some of you may... Some of you here lived in that same house. I don't know. <laughs> His dad was pruning, right? He was pruning the trees and the, the bushes, these plants. What is pruning? Pruning, let me give you the definition in case you don't know. Trimming a tree, shrub, or bush by cutting away dead or overgrown branches or stems, especially to increase fruit fruitfulness and growth. That's the dictionary definition, especially to increase fruitfulness and growth. And maybe you're seeing where I'm going with this. The scripture tells us, of course, that God wants us to bear fruit. That's what we've been talking about. Not just fruit. The scripture tells us that he wants us to bear much fruit for him. It's how we glorify him with our lives. It's how we show that we are his disciples. John 15, 8. Listen to John 15, 8. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. We prove that we are Christ's by the fruit that we bear. Jesus says it another way in Matthew 5. I quote this verse a lot. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. 
We glorify God by the fruit we bear, the good works that we do, our lives that are changed. People should see us and see Jesus in us. And through that, they glorify God. The Greek word for much there in John 15, 8, bear much fruit is polus. It means many, much, multitudinous, great in amount, in an abundance. He wants us to bear an abundance of fruit. And one of the ways that God enables us to bear much fruit is that he prunes us. He sees areas in our lives that are dead or like overgrown branches, and he goes to work. Areas of our lives that are hindering our growth in him, hindering faithfulness. And and if we are in Christ, if we're trusting in Christ, if we're that branch that's attached to the vine, he is going to prune us. He is going to remove things. He is going to bring about that change in our life so that we will glorify him. If you'll turn with me to John 15, I just want to read the first eight verses. Gives us a context of the fruit that God wants us to bear for him. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. His word, as you've seen and as you just saw in this text, his word is what cleanses us. Verse three, you're already clean because of the word. One way that God prunes us is through his word. You may know 2 Timothy, I believe it's 3.16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and complete for every good work. His word corrects us. It reproves us. It trains us. It changes us. So one way that God prunes us is he reproves us through his word. And if we allow his word to work in our lives, it changes us and it molds, it molds us into the image of Christ. John 17, 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. So through his word brings sanctification, holiness, the changing into the image of Christ. Ephesians 5, 26 talks about cleansing us through the washing of the word. Jesus washes his church through the word, which cleanses us. I believe it's a very similar or same word that's used in John 15, three, you are already clean, purified because of the word. And he continues to purify us as we continue to abide in him and allow his word to change us. Ellicott's commentary on John 15, two states, we are not to interpret these words 
as they have been frequently interpreted of the unbelieving world or of the Jews, but of Christians in name who claim to be branches of the true vine. These the husband made or the vine dresser watches day by day. He knows them and he reads the inner realities of their lives and everyone that is fruitless, he takes away. Those who profess to be Christians or even those who are Christians because Jesus said you are the branches, right? And every branch, it says in verse two, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And in verse six, it states, it's thrown away, dries up, it's gathered, cast into the fire and burned. These are really strong warnings. I believe Pastor Joe's given many sermons on this text, talking about how we can fall away, looking at verse two, looking at verse six, how this is referring to Christians. Christians who are, were once in Christ, abiding in him, maybe bearing fruit, and then said, you know what, I'm no longer going to abide in Christ. I'm no longer going to obey his word. I'm no longer going, allow, going to allow God to prune me, to change me, to mold me into the image of Christ. I'm going to live for myself. And so these warnings are serious, right? And as I was putting together this teaching, I was thinking, what are some warnings in our society? Have you ever seen a beware of dog sign when you walk by someone's house? Is, does that sign freak you out? If you see that sign, do you get scared? Do you get fearful? Do you worry? You probably shouldn't. You're safe, right, if you're just walking by the house. The moment you should worry is either when that dog jumps over the fence, which hopefully that doesn't happen very often, but if you say, for some reason, I'm going to now jump over that gate, over that fence, and I want to go see what's in that backyard, and there's a pit bull or a Rottweiler, or maybe they just have the sign and there's no dog back there, every illustration or every analogy can break down, but that's when you should feel fearful, right? And worried and scared is if you do not heed to that warning. And so when we read the warnings of scripture, it's like, thank you, Lord, that they're there, but I'm trusting in you. I'm abiding in you. And so it allows me to stay on the straight and narrow path that leads to life. So we're not going to be thrown away. We're not going to be burned. We're not going to be taken away as Christians unless we throw the faith away, but we are going to be pruned. We are going to be chastened. We are going to be corrected. And as Hebrews 12, 11 states, we're going to be disciplined. All discipline for the moment seems not joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, listen to this, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You want peaceful do you want the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life? Yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Lord. Allow him to discipline you. Allow him to change you. Submit to his word. The NIV puts it this way. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If we want to bear an abundance of fruit, yield to the Lord. Allow him to discipline us. I think when Jesus was stating these words in John chapter 15, he had another text in mind. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5, you see this type of language throughout the scripture. Vine language, plant language, bearing fruit language. You see it in the Psalms. You see it in Jeremiah. We see it here in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5, verse 1. It says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, 
And he dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled ground. It will become trampled ground and I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Here was the vineyard. God said, I was doing all I could, planted it on fertile ground, was ready right there to prune it, to allow it to bear more fruit as it should have, but they were unwilling. And Jesus said the same thing of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people in his day that would not submit to him and to his word. And so as this text continues in verse 8 and 11 and 18 and 20 and 21 and 22, God pronounces judgments upon the people. Woe, 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 over and over again. And then in verse 24 and 25, you see in Isaiah 5, 24 and 25, severe language of what God is going to do to his people because they turn their backs on him, because they refused to obey him. Strong warnings once again. So the pruning, the training, the correction, if we yield ourselves to the Lord, will in our lives bear much fruit. It will allow us to bear much fruit for the kingdom. The key thing is that we abide, that we continue in Christ, and that we endure. Listen to Galatians 6, 9. It says, and let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. In the Greek, it's if we do not faint. It can become wearisome, the Christian life at times. It can become hard. And so the scripture over and over testifies for us to not lose heart, to continue pushing forward, to continue to abide in Christ. Yesterday, as I was putting this message together, I typed these words into the Google search engine the big three. I wanted to see what would pop up because as I was putting together this message, love, joy, and peace, I thought of these as the big three. Paul front loads the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22, with love, joy, and peace. When I typed in the big three, this is what popped up on Google. The U.S., the Soviet Union, and Great Britain. In the context of World War I, this is the, the big three. Then another article right underneath in the context of television. This is the big three, ABC, CBS, NBC. Right underneath that, there was a tennis article. These are the big three, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic. I haven't followed tennis in many years. I was looking for Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras, I think there was, and a couple others. They didn't make the list, those three. 
Another article right underneath that, Japanese anime. These are the big three, Naruto, Bleach, and One Piece. And then another article when it came to the car industry, General Motors, Chrysler, Ford, those are the big three. It was crazy how many articles popped up. Nothing on love, joy, and peace, unfortunately. So I guess no one else has named it the big three, but that's what I've named it for this message. Love, joy, and peace, which I see to be the big three. So, John 13 through 17. John chapters 13 through 17, as Jesus is having this last supper with his disciples, as he's washing their feet, as Judas is getting ready to betray him, as he's getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and his high priestly prayer in John 17, the three main things, or the big three, if you will, are the three things that Jesus spends the most time on plugging in and hitting on and conversing with his disciples about love, joy, and peace. If you'll go on a little journey with me through John 13, I was just going to give you the references, and then I thought, why don't we look at these verses together? John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When you w walk up to a tree, how do you know what kind of tree it is? Very simple question. You look at its fruit. That's an apple tree. How do I know? There's apples on it. You walk up to an orange tree. That's an orange tree. There's oranges on it. You look at Christians. Jesus said, this is the marker. This is the fruit that you are going to be known by. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 14, 15. He continues on. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look down at verse 21. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will disclose myself to him. Verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. That's why we say the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lives in us, because Jesus said the Father will love him and make his abode in him. Jesus is in us, the Father's in us, the Holy Spirit's in us, the triune God is in us to will and work for his good plan. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now let's look at John 15, 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Recently with my children at home, we've been doing what's called speech night, if you will. Okay, kids, you're going to give a speech in front of mommy and daddy. And so as I'm learning at the school certain techniques and certain ways to raise your kids and teach them things, these kids at the school that I teach at, they're giving speeches over and over again from a young age to the point when they're in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, they're like master communicators. I saw them for the student council meetings and as they were going against each other, trying to become the treasurer of the school and the president of their school, they were giving speeches, seventh, eighth grade. And you would think these people are like lifelong politicians with the way that they are communicating at 11, 12 years old. It, it's as if it's so natural to them. And it's because it was ingrained in them from five years old at this school. And many of them have gone through the whole system. So I said, okay, kids, we're doing speeches. And at first they were kind of hesitant and so they're like, well, what are we going to say? And I said, well, get up in front of mommy and daddy and tell us what you're thankful for. And so the kids are looking around the house. I'm thankful for that. And Verity's walking over to the tree that we just got. That's not that good of a tree, but I'm thankful for the tree and I'm thankful for Mimi and I'm thankful for this. And, and Leland was doing the same thing. And the first verse that, and then I said, okay, we're going to share scriptures as well. And they Leland knows a little bit of John 3.16. I think he knows John 14.6. Verity tries John 3.16, but it's, she's missing like half the words. But she tries. John 15.12 was the verse that I gave them the other night. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. And so I would state it and Leland and Verity would repeat it. And they go, isn't this a song? And there's actually a Keith Green song. This is my commandment. And so Leland already had the first part down. And he's like, I'm ready to go give the speech right now. And he didn't have the second part down yet, though. And so he was very confident. And this is my commandment that you love one another. But a very important part of that verse is the second half. Just as I have loved you, the way that we love one another is as Christ has loved us, gave his life for us. While we were yet sinners, he went to the cross for us. So let's continue on. Just a couple more verses in the book of John showing us the love the joy and the peace that God wants us to have in Christ. John 16, let's see, where did I leave off? Let's go to John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Peace in the midst of tribulation, as we see in John 16, 33. Look at John 17, 13. Jesus' high priestly prayer, he prays, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy made full in themselves. And then he closes out his prayer in verse 26 of John 17. I have made your name known to them and will make it known that the love wherewith you loved me may be in them and I in them. Now let's go to John chapter 20, verse 19. John 20, 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut 
where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Why was the door shut? Why were they fearful of the Jews here in John 20, 19? Well, Jesus was just crucified and Jesus said, if they strike down the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. They were scattered. They all went to their homes. They're, fear, they're all, all of a sudden fearful and scared. They were once bold and ready to die with Jesus. And now they have the door locked and are fearful that the Jews are going to come in, the religious Jews, Pharisees and whatnot, take them away and do to them what they did to Jesus. And so Jesus appears in their midst and says, peace be with you. Verse 21, John 20, Jesus therefore said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And then verse 26, after eight days again, his disciples were inside. Eight days later, they're still inside. And Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. We're just like the disciples, right? We, we need to be told over and over again. And that's what we're seeing here. John 13 through 17 and now 20 after the resurrection. Peace. They're still locked in the doors. They're still huddling together. No, my peace, my peace be with you. Go, I'm sending you out. And we need to be reminded as well to love God, to rest in his love, to love one another, to grow in joy and to grow in his peace. And if you noticed in John 14, 27, John 15, 10 and John 15, 11, Jesus said, my peace, my love and my joy. He wants us to rest in his love, his peace, and his joy. And he's showing them these attributes in the midst of persecution that's about to happen to him, right? He's about to be crucified, bear the sins of the world, be tempted in the garden of Gethsemane, betrayed by Judas. And yet he says, I want you to have my peace, my joy, my love. And that's what we need to grow in, right? When life is hard, when we're tempted, when we're going through trials, we need to have the Lord's love, his joy, and peace in our lives. Scripture says in 1 John 4, 8 and 16, God is love. Romans 5, Romans 15, 33, Romans 16, 20, 1 Corinthians 16, 11, and Philippians 4, 9 all say that God is the God of peace. And Psalm 16, 11 and Psalm 21, 6 says that in your presence, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 216, there's joy in his presence. And in Galatians 5:22, as we've talked about, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and peace. So Jesus wants to give us his love and joy and peace. The father wants to give us his love, joy, and peace. And the fruit of yielding to the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and peace. The triune God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit and give us love, joy, and peace. I found an article online, Quora.com. This person posted stating, why is there no peace and happiness in my life? This is a social website to where people can respond. You can type in a question and you can get people from all over the world who will respond with answers on this website. And this person got a lot of feedback. A lot of people chimed in. Some people said, be productive. Other people said, exercise more. Get a psychiatrist. 
One person said, read books, like they did a whole article. This is the solution to happiness and peace. Read good books. This will bring peace. One person said, let me give you 10 steps. This is the 10-step plan that I recommend to a happy and peaceful life. Number one, meditate every day for one hour in total silence. Two, exercise every day religiously. Three, fasting always helps. Four, lower your expectations. Five, stay in total simplicity. Six, always do things for others without expecting anything. Seven, always be grateful and give gratitude. Eight, take care of the old and the sick. Nine, always be kind to animals, birds, and nature. And number 10, sleep early and wake early. Are these going to give us deep, lasting peace and happiness in our lives? These might give us momentary highs, so to speak, feelings of happiness and joy. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are connected and our minds very closely to our souls and our spirit, right? So if we're not sleeping, if we're not taking care of our bodies, there is an aspect of that to where we do get irritable. We do get grumpy. It is hard to love. It is hard to have joy and peace when we're not taking care of the temple, right? Our bodies. But what happens when tribulation really comes in our life? What happens when a loved one dies, when we lose a job, when we're being attacked by the enemy? Are these things going to work? Being nice to kitty cats and dogs and birds is not going to cut it. When trials and persecution and difficulties in life come. We need something deeper than that. We need something stronger than that. We need something that will fill the deep chasm of our soul. And that something is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. As he said in John 14, 7, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He doesn't give us worldly wisdom. He doesn't give us worldly peace. He gives us himself. My peace I give to you. That's the peace that we need when everything around us is going to hell in a handbasket. I went to a funeral yesterday for Pam Milikowski. I forget how to say her last name. But it was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful message. At one point, they said, we're going to worship today. And his son got up there, and his and Ted's grandchildren got up there, and they sang their hearts out several songs. And I looked around the room, and people were raising their hands. People were singing. People were crying. I was getting emotional. I was crying. It's as if the love, joy, and peace in that room was tangible. It was a special, exciting celebration didn't even feel like a funeral at certain times to just the, the joy in the room. And Ted got up at one point and he said, I am filled with joy. I mean, when I went to their house maybe a month ago and I prayed over Pam and, and she went like this when I walked in, she goes, <laughs> and I walked up, she goes, like she would. So I gave her a kiss on the cheek and she was joking around with Leah and I and really sweet lady. But Ted was just beaming with joy, beaming with joy as his wife was dying, beaming with joy at the funeral, talking about his wife. And he said, the only reason I can be joyful like this, the only reason that I'm able to get through these trials, not only with my wife passing away, but other trials in the family, is that 
I've been looking to the Lord. I've been looking to Christ. It's all about Jesus. His peace, his love, his joy is what got him through it. And it's the only thing that will get us through the trials of life. True peace, true, lasting, real peace only comes from abiding in Christ and his love and joy in our lives. Listen to how one commentator speaks about peace. Peace, he states, will be built upon love and joy if our hearts are ever turning to God and ever blessed with inner communion of love between him and us. What can be strong enough to disturb the tranquility that fills the soul independent of all externals? However long and close may be the siege, the well in the castle courtyard will be full. True peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God and will be deep and passing all understanding and the exact measure in which we live in and partake of the love of God. That's the kind of peace that the Lord wants us to have. And I've read different books and different testimonies and articles online of saints that have gone through a lot. Richard Wormbrandt being one of them who was in Romania and camps for concentration camps and jail. He was in solitary confinement for years, eight feet, I think underground, no windows, no lights, sleeping next to rats. They would pull him out of the room, throw him in a freezer for several hours till he was about to die. Then they'd pull him out of the freezer till he got his life back to him and then throw him back in the freezer. And he documents all this in his books, which is, it's hard to read after a certain amount of time. All the, they would beat his feet till they were bloody. Just barely allowing him to live, torturing him, hence the name of the book and the movie, Tortured for Christ. And he talks about, though, how he would be jumping in his room for joy, how he would be sharing the gospel with the people next door to him using some sort of Morse code, hitting his hand against the, the wall, and they would communicate with each other. And it was against the, the law. It was against, if they did that, they would get beaten more. And he goes, the guards were happy if they beat us, and I was happy if I preached the gospel, so we were all happy. And so it was almost, he admits, I pretty much lost my mind at one point, but one thing was for certain, he goes, I wasn't going to deny the Lord. He goes, I got close. They beat me to a pulp. They drugged me. They almost killed me. And then he gets out of prison, and guess what he does? He goes out on the streets and preaches the gospel. He goes into his church and preaches the gospel. He standed, and what got him thrown in originally was because there was this religious con congress session to where the, the communists came in and said, we're going to join with the church, okay? And so you guys can preach this and that, but you can't preach the true gospel. You can't preach the full counsel of God. And his wife said, you better stand up and say something. And, she, and he said to her, if I stand up, you're not going to have a husband. And she said, I'd rather you stand up and have a coward for a husband. And so he said, okay. And the rest was history. Eight years in jail, solitary confinement, continuing to preach the gospel. And then they threw him back in for another three years after that. An amazing testimony of brothers and sisters in the Lord. You can read many of these stories of people who love God, continued to abide in him and continue to bear much fruit. He actually stood in front of the U.S. Congress years and years later 
and was able to testify to the horrors that were going on in these other countries and in Romania due to communism and all of these other false philosophies and religions. And he actually, there's a picture online of him taking off his shirt in front of Congress and saying, look at these scars, look at what I've been through. And he was able to testify of the goodness and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel. True, true love, true joy, true peace comes only from knowing Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us that in the end, before Christ returns, this is what people are going to be saying. Peace and safety. And then destruction, the scripture tells us, will come upon them suddenly. Like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. 1 Thessalonians 5.3. Peace and safety. There's a false sense of peace in this world. People may think they have peace. People can turn to drugs and alcohol and sex drugs and rock and roll and different things to fill their heart and think that there's a sense of peace going on in their lives. They can live like that and say, I'm at peace. I'm still living. Maybe even they're making a lot of money while doing those things. It's a false sense of security. Look, I'm blessed. I'm at peace. God is for me. We see this in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 6.14 and Jeremiah 8.11, these are actually God's words that Jeremiah recorded. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. The false prophets were saying peace. Look, we're at peace. No other armies, no other nations are attacking us. We're at peace. Keep living how you're living. Live for yourselves. Sound familiar? And it says in Jeremiah, they were murdering, they were stealing, they were committing adultery, sacrificing to Baal. And I think what they were also doing was saying, okay, we'll just throw a sacrifice into Yahweh as well. We'll throw some sacrifices into him. We'll tithe a little bit. Sure, we'll read the Torah a little bit. God is good. We're good with him. We're at peace. And the false teachers, the false prophets we're tickling their ears and telling them, yeah, you are at peace. Keep living like this. And Jeremiah, he's commissioned to preach the exact opposite message. There's no peace here. You need to turn to God, the fountain of living water. Instead, you've turned to broken cisterns. You've turned to selfishness. You've turned to vain idols and destruction is coming. And it's no wonder he's called the weeping prophet because no one would listen and yet God told him, continue to preach the message. And that is what he did. And sure enough, we know the story. 589 BC to 539 BC is called the Babylonian captivity. I even learned about it at liberal Cal Lutheran University, who pretty much says the whole Bible is a sham, but they'll admit that this actually happened. That Jeremiah, what happened in Jeremiah is true history. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came in, ran, ransacked Jerusalem, burned down the temple, destroyed it, killed King Zedekiah. But actually before he did that, he killed his sons right in front of him, plucked out his eyes, brought him back to Babylonia where King Zedekiah died. And Jeremiah told King Zedekiah all these things would happen unless he turned to the Lord. He said, if you turn to the Lord, you will be spared. Do not listen to the false prophets. There is no true peace as long as we are disobeying the Lord. And he was pleading with Zedekiah. He was pleading with the people, yet they would not listen. And so we can now look back at history and see that they were in captivity for 70 years. Many of their houses were destroyed. Many of them died and many of them were in bondage. 
but that was not God's plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. You guys know these verses? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for peace or welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I love those promises. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you search for me, he will answer. Are we seeking the Lord? Are we living for ourselves or are we living for him? God's promise for his people remains today. Don't buy the false security of the world. Don't buy the false peace of the world. Turn to Christ and live. His love, his joy, his peace. Find in him a peace that passes understanding. A peace that the scripture states is like a river. Find in him a love that has no bounds. A love that conquers all doubts and all fears. Find in him a fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. Why would we turn to anyone or anything else? Find in Jesus, the one who said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Find in Jesus a friend that is closer to a brother. Last night I was talking with my family. We were talking about this song, what a friend we have in Jesus. And as I was thinking about how to close my teaching and I was praying and as I do, as I'm putting together my message, Lord, how do I wrap this up? And we were talking about the song, what a friend we have in Jesus. And Leah said, share with your, share with all of us the story again of the man who wrote the song, what a friend we have in Jesus. And I remembered bits and pieces of it. And I read some of it last night. His name was Joseph Scriven. 1819 in Ireland, he was born and he loved this woman. He wanted to marry her. They were engaged. I think their wedding day was the next day and they were riding horseback over a river. She fell in the river and died. He met another woman some years later, fell in love with her, was getting ready to marry her. She became ill and died as well. And it just seemed like everything in his life was going out of control. And yet he continued to seek the Lord. He continued to serve the Lord and bear fruit. And then one day he was very ill and he wrote this song. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can you have tears and yet be joyful? Can you have tears and pain yet be filled with peace? Can you be overflowing with the love of God in your heart and yet everything in your life seems to be going wrong? And the testimony of the scripture is yes, yes, yes. And I've sang this song many times 
And even Leah was mentioning that yesterday, that I've sang this song so many times because she can hear me. Because I have to cling to texts like this. I have to cling to verses that fill me with joy and fill me with peace. And we all go through things in our lives, right? We all go through trials and temptations. And we need to look to Jesus because the Bible says that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He knows our pains. He knows our struggles. He knows our temptations. And I love this song that it says, we need to go to him in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So that's my prayer for us, that we would be fortified and strengthened in Christ, that his love, joy, and peace would be ours to the fullest. Amen.